0: everyone and welcome to another episode of for the good of the game a unique podcast dedicated to providing football insights and life skills we hope you enjoy today's episode hey guys jd coming to you with another episode of for the good of the game today i am super excited to have john o'sullivan the founder of Changing the Game Project and host of the Way of Champions podcast as our special guest. John is a world-renowned speaker on such topics as coach education, parent engagement, and leadership training for athletes in sports. John's 2014 TED Talk, Changing the Game in Youth Sports, has over 369,000 views. His first book, Changing the Game, is an international bestseller. And today, among other things, we're gonna chat about his new book, Every Moment Matters. So it is my distinct pleasure to welcome John O'Sullivan to the show. John, thank you for being here.
1: It's an honor to be here. Thank you, sir.
0: Well, I really appreciate it. I got to tell you, among other things, my motivation for really being involved in youth sports at this point in my life, I'm 61 years old, all four of my children who I coached growing up are all adults now. It, my motivation, my why is really what you refer to as the great race to nowhere. So I wanted to give you a chance to talk a little bit about that to lead off the show.
1: Yeah, sure. No problem. It's funny, you know, when I started changing the game project, that blog post, which I think I wrote in 2014, was one of the the catalysts. And it was just called the Race to Nowhere in Youth Sports, right? And uh, basically, the idea was, you know, what are we doing? What are we doing when we're asking nine-year-old kids that if you want this spot on the youth soccer team, you have to Quit all other sports, hire a personal trainer and do that. And these kids are like, I just want to be with my friends. Right. And and so I, I wrote this article about that this makes no sense. Right. It doesn't make sense for the vast majority of kids. They're not on the performance track in sports. It doesn't make sense from a physiological, social, emotional development standpoint of what children in sports need. And yet so many parents are scared and trying to keep up with the Joneses. And so I, I turned it, I said, this is like the great race to nowhere. Um, and yeah, that, that article like blew up compared, you know, comparatively to anything I'd written before had a million views out the gate. And so it hit a nerve with people who were tired of that race to nowhere. And, um, you know, since then we've kind of been building upon it, you know, I don't just like to complain. I like to give solutions. And, and so, We kind of write about, hey, here's an issue, here's some of the research, here's some people who are actually solving it. Hopefully you can reach out to them and uh, change it in your neighborhood, change it in your community, things like that. And so here we are quite a few years later, a few books later, 150 podcast episode later and still going. That's awesome.
0: Yeah, I I tell you, it's funny, when I was uh, doing research to open my sports academy, in 2010, I ran across the statistic of 70% of kids stop playing by the time they're, they're 13. And it blew me away when the first time I saw your podcast or your TED talk, and I've watched it probably five times at least. Uh, it's that the statistic, even the latest Aspen Institute study uh, finished up in 2018, basically stratified it in much more detail, but it basically is the same thing as holding true. Why do you think when you look at Proactive Coaching, Positive Coaching Alliance, Changing the Game Project, all these organizations that these wonderful people have started. I had the blessing of of uh, talking to Jim Thompson in uh, uh, Paul Brown Stadium during a NFL Youth Football Summit back in 2007. And um, why do you think it is that we're still experiencing, over that long a period of time, and all these folks giving way together, still experiencing that level of, of dropout?
1: I, I mean pe- – you're always going to have some attrition, right? There's always going to be someone who um, takes on an academic load or has to get a job or realizes that, Hey, I'm just not good enough to make the high school varsity. But I I think what PCA and us and proactive coaching, you know, are trying to do is combat how many kids are we losing that we shouldn't be losing. Um, And, and really we're, I believe this starts, and I think Jim Thompson would agree, is coaching. Um, this is the first point of co- contact with sport. This is when kids come into sport and, you know, they, they just watched the Women's World Cup this summer and they want to be the next Alex Morgan. They want to be the next Julie Ertz. They want to be the next Megan Rapino, And then they show up and they get a coach who hasn't been trained, uh, not only in what is a good soccer practice look like, but you know, social, emotional needs of kids and, and that. And and then all of a sudden, um, pretty soon they're like, well, soccer wasn't fun or or football wasn't fun, right? You know, football, you know, no one's trained me how to coach or maybe I did heads up, but um, no one's trained me on what does an 11 year old in football need versus uh, my last memory, which was being an 18 year old high school senior. And the coach told me do burpees and run laps. <laughs> That's not what a 10 year old needs out of this. And so I think coaching, you know, one coach can affect 20, 30 kids in a year, you know, hundreds of kids in a lifetime. We need to train our coaches. And and I think sport is the only place where every other aspect of our children's lives from 7am till 3pm, everything they do all those caregivers, be they teachers, be they daycare providers, right? They have degrees, they have certifications, they're constantly trained, they're constantly monitored in creating the right environment for kids. And then at three o'clock, oftentimes the only qualification is, are you available? Right. And this exactly. is what we have to get through. We have to demand more of those volunteer coaches, especially um, to be better.
0: I agree. In fact, I I want to kind of use that to transition. I, I was, I was fascinated when I first picked up the book, and uh, and for those folks that are listening, the book is Every Moment Matters. Uh, it is it's basically broken down into four parts. It starts out with why do I coach. Number two is how do I coach. Three is how does it how does it feel to be coached by me, which I found fascinating, and then four a a new definition of success. Um, i I'm at, this may seem like a Uh, kind of a mundane question but it's important to me in terms of having read the book which for all of our listeners is just phenomenal um, why did you decide to organize the book in this way did you start out with an outline did it come upon you as you wrote or was it collecting through the interviews how did how did the the kind of order and the content come about
1: Well, I I do a lot of speaking. I do a lot of presenting and and those questions have always meant a lot to me. And I have to give full credit to Joe Ehrman, former NFL player, author of Inside Out Coaching, which, you know, you know, it's a coaching Bible right there. Fantastic book. He outlines those questions. He mentions those questions in his book. It's not the outline of his book. But that's always really resonated with me of like, hey, this is a great way to think about coaching. We we often only think about coaching as how do I coach the X's and O's, what's the offense, what's the defense, all that sort of stuff. But I think, again, taking that step back and what's my purpose, what's my why, because if I'm really strongly connected to that, then I'm going to go through the highs and lows. I'm going to deal with the tough days. I'm going to be able to work through, you know, a, a team that's struggling or parents who are driving me up the wall because I'm connected to that. You know what, man, I do it for the kids and I love those kids. And I'm going to just push through this because, I'm, you know, cause I know the kids are getting something good out of this. Um, and, and then, you know, how everyone wants to know the how, and I'm, you know, it's not a prescriptive book on how to coach football or how to coach soccer or how to coach basketball. It's if we want to do the how right, we have to understand the underlying principles of skill acquisition. We have to understand how people learn best. Um, and if we think of learning on a scale of least effective to most effective, what we're always trying to do is look at our practices and say, how can I, what I have planned, what my coach did with me 25 years ago, it doesn't mean it has no effect, but What might be a more effective way to get kids to learn what I need them to learn? Because who cares what you teach (laughs) if they don't learn, right? So so it's about understanding the learner and what he or she needs. Um, And and then that third part that that you just mentioned, how does it feel to be coached by me? When I speak, that's the one that makes people stop and pick their head up. Um, Take a picture of the slide. Write, take notes. Because I don't think too many coaches ever consider what does it feel like to be coached by me. What's it feel like to be part of this environment? And you know, on my podcast and through interviews, I've gotten to talk to World Cup winning coaches, Super Bowl winning coaches, um, you know NBA champion coaches, and they all talk about how important that is that actually like that's the basis, right? If we create the right environment, the right culture, and it feels great to come to work um, and it doesn't feel like work, good things are going to happen. Your team's going to reach its potential. And I think, especially for those of us involved in youth sport, how it feels to be coached by me. I mean, 99.9% of our kids are not turning pro, right? So how it feels, you know, should be thing. And it doesn't mean it can't be hard, right? It can be demanding. It can be difficult. It can be challenging. Um, but it doesn't mean it has to be demeaning and disrespectful and all that sort of stuff.
0: Yeah, I think uh, I caught uh, part of the interview, and they they aired part of it as a as a special on uh, on PCA. But Steve Kerr's talk about culture and, and core values, and and uh, it, it's interesting. In in the lesson twelve, you talked about the winningest team in history being the New Zealand All Blacks rugby team, which mm. I now have my great. Uh, you know evening time sports trivia question that's going to stump everybody
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. but
0: uh, you talk about um, that that culture and and you you just touched on it but, but how valuable is that in terms of your experience and the folks that you've interviewed and in being in relating it to your core values and and getting those kids to feel that inside that that team
1: I mean what, what's the saying in sport you know culture, you know, eats talent for breakfast or whatever, right? If we, if you get the culture right and the culture being call it the non negotiable behaviors that we agree to as a group, that we will hold each other accountable for as a group, our core values that when we are at our best, we are doing these things. Um, if we show up and we do them every single day, then we're going to be really good at practice. And if we're really good at practice, then we're going to play the best we can possibly play on Friday night. And, and this is, I think, um, too many people start with the X's and O's and then hope the culture will take care of itself. Exactly. But if we are intentional about the culture, then um, the X's and O's stem from that right? If we have people who are respectful and 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 committed and compete like crazy, um, and they do all those things every day without us having to talk about them, then of course, practice is going to be better. Of course, people are going to learn faster and all that sort of stuff. So again, these best coaches, they get the culture first. I mean, you know, in, in your world of football, I mean, you know, Name me a great, you know, Bill Walsh, you know, Bill Belichick. He doesn't talk about much about anything, but you can, you know, you can be sure that the culture in his teams just given by the number of people who didn't succeed in other teams and came to the Patriots. Right. um, Because they were forced by the culture to adapt and be like, be more like us. (laughs) We're not here to be more like you, you know,
0: Yeah, the Patriot way
1: the Patriot way. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and so on and so forth. You name me a, a coach that has more than one year of success and I'll show you a coach that focuses a ton on culture.
0: Yeah, I, I really liked. There was a kind of a clear thread to success to me throughout the book at all levels, and it was the effect, the the benefit, and, and the importance of effective communication. Talk a little about the important of importance of communication and relationships in coaching, specifically with your players.
1: Well, well, first of all, relationships is the basis of coaching, right? That's what it is about. Yeah, it's about teaching. It's about imparting information, but it's more about connecting with your athletes. Because if I can connect with my athletes, then they are far more likely to bring the right focus and competitiveness and, and, and willingness to learn and, and listen. And when we think about the bigger purpose of coaching as well, which is, you know what, many of these kids, they might not get discipline at home. They might not get any respect or love at home. I might be the only one in the world with the opportunity to to teach them these things. Today might be the day. And if I don't develop that relationship, the chances of today being the day where something's going to stick is, is very unlikely. And so that's where it starts. And And I think great relationships start with communication and good communication is is two way. Now it doesn't mean that your kids, you know, are running the team and deciding the offense and defense, but, I think great coaches listen and and they ask their players, you know, I I talk in the book, this great quote from the volleyball Olympic volleyball legend and coach Karch Karai. Mm -hmm. He ends every player meeting with how can I be a better coach for you? You know, what if you ask your players that how, what can I do different? How can I help you out? What can we work on in practice that you feel like we are lacking right now? Because what you think and what you see and what your players see might be very different. And, um, it doesn't mean that whatever they say goes, but if you are just ignoring what they're thinking, I mean, good luck. How's that working for you? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, really?
1: Yeah.
0: I, uh, I, one of the things that that there was some synchronicity between some of the episodes I had listened to, I'm going to reach back to, uh, episode 77, you interviewed Amy Saltzman on, uh, met mindfulness and meditation. And she called it and talked about playing in the space between, in the book, you call the lesson most sports are played on a five-inch field. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a big believer in the mental side of training. I've got a couple of friends that are in that space that do uh, mental strength training. I think it's incredibly powerful. Uh, talk to us about what do you think on the mental side? What's the kind of the quote, right amount of time and approach to take with your players on that?
1: you know time in 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 practice is always relative to how much time do you have right mm-hmm. i i've yet to meet a coach who's like i have too much time can i give some back right so it's always about being efficient with our time but i think you know being mindful which means being present in the moment and and, and focused on the moment I mean, that should be weaved throughout your practice, right? This doesn't mean we're, you know, we're, we're, we're sitting meditating for 90 minutes, but what it does mean is, is that if I teach mindfulness uh, and, and so where I think things like mindfulness and visualization are really, really important. And I think a lot of the great coaches would agree is when you first get there and you take a few moments and you stand in a circle and you look each other in the eye And you take a few breaths and you're just quiet and you get out everything from the day, boyfriends, girlfriends, school, stress, work, whatever it is. um, Okay, we're here now for the next two hours. Let's be here. And the conversations and let's be here. And that little moment of like, you know, it's it's the reset button, right? And so that's a simple mindfulness breathing moment. I mean, I think in the military, you know, the SEALs use, what, what is it, like, four square breathing, right? Right. Inhale right. for four, hold for four, exhale for four, hold for four. You do that three or four times and you're counting your breaths and you're doing that and you're not talking, all of a sudden the day goes away and you're there. And I think these are things that um, you know, a lot of coaches are wary about them, or it's gonna make me seem soft or whatever. But these are minimal moments that start and end your practice the right way and get people doing the right things sooner rather than, you know, uh, my team, you know, the first 45 minutes, I'm just trying to get them to focus. Well, maybe five minutes of mindfulness might help.
0: (laughs) It really might. Do you you think that with so much talk about and research into what we call flow state, now back in the day, again, I'm older. So, you know, back in the day, I I referred to what I believed it to be, to be in the zone. Do you think Mm -hmm. that what we refer to now as flow state is kind of the, a restatement or better understanding of being in the zone or are they kind of different situations?
1: No, I think they're, I think, you know, Mihai, the scientist who coined the term flow would, would say that they're, that's the same thing. And, mm-hmm. and, and so I think anyone who's participated, not just in sports, but any sort of activity, like, you know, as my wife might tell you, when I go fly fishing, I'm in flow because she's like, where have you been for the last five hours? Right. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like five hours. You got to be kidding me. Right. So, um, so it's, it's being on, you know, to, to be in flow, you have to be challenged, but it can't be too hard. It can't be too easy. So I have to be right on that edge where everything just seems to be working. Right, and, and no one's hacked this like, okay, this is how to get into flow. Some people claim they have some people, you know, there's research on what are some of the conditions that sort of get you close to it. Right. Um, but I, again, when, when you challenge, so like I'm a big skier um, and when I am, you know, skiing a really difficult peak, if my mind's elsewhere, I'm falling, right? I have to be there and that's flow. Right. Is this total focus on the moment that all of a sudden time just seems to pass. And, you know, most people have been in flow. You know, I grew up on in New York on Long Island, you know, driving down Long Island Expressway. And all of a sudden you're like, wow, where'd the last 30 exits go? Exactly. Because right? you're just your mind is elsewhere. That's flow.
0: Yeah, I, I it's interesting to me. It used to happen. And I, I was never a competitive runner. From a distance standpoint, but I used to train with several when I was in college because they were so much better. It challenged me to get better, and I've had those times where the running almost became—it was almost like an out-of-body experience, you know. And and I've had that that piece where time goes by so quickly because you're in the moment and it slows down. So I think it's important, and when you can get your athletes focused to be able to get to that point, I think it's it's really important. I want to shift. Focus just a little bit. I just attended the uh, USA football national conference this past weekend in Louisville, and I know you've been involved with them in the past. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, our our friends in Canadian hockey have had the long term athletic development model for many years and kind of led the way as far as that goes with looking at it. uh, I, I I was very pleased, based on my previous involvement with USA Football, that they have now launched the football development model. Um, as we approach incorporating any kind of athletic development model, um, what what key points do you think coaches should look at uh, within the construct of a development model for for athletes, particularly young athletes below the high school level?
1: Yeah, so. You know, it's great. And, and just for, you know, more background right on the listeners, every sport under the U.S. Olympic Committee has been tasked with in the next three years having a development model. So this is what's appropriate at different ages and stages. Right. Yes. So we're not layering on adult level rules and game sizes and competitions on very young kids who are not physically, socially, emotionally, cognitively capable of doing that. Right. So. Um, you know, I, I think when we're looking for these models, number one, we're looking at who does it serve, right? And it needs to serve the needs of the person in front of you, not the needs of the adult running the league. And this is what happens a lot that, oh, well, you know, we need to play 11 v 11 football at seven years old because, um, you know, it's just easier to schedule, right? Or we can put more kids on a team and 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 so these are the type of things that that often these decisions negatively affect um kids in sport and so it, it's about who's in front of me it's about scientifically based practices at each age and stage because I think one of the most fascinating things anyone can ever do and some some sports have these some don't I'm not familiar enough with u s a football but I think Great coaching courses don't just teach you, hey, here's the drills to do. They teach you why is this appropriate for an eight-year-old. Because an eight-year-old is not a smaller version of an 18-year-old, right? You know, they have very different um, ways of seeing and processing. Their visual spatial awareness is different, right? You, you go to any like you know, six-year-old soccer game and they're in a great big bunch and all the adults are yelling spread out. That means nothing to a six-year-old. Right. <laughs> they're, they're not capable of, of seeing the other, of seeing space like we are. Yeah. Um so so we have to create ways that maybe the game spreads them out. So so this is really, really important. I encourage all your listeners to really, you know, pay attention to these things because the, you know, USA football didn't just, you know, whip this out in a morning meeting. Like they've been working on this for a couple of years and they've had great people. I mean You know, a couple years ago, a guy, Joe Eisenman, was the head of sport development. He's not anymore. And I forget who it is now, but there are well-qualified people who are saying, you know, if they're saying this is what you should do with your nine-year-olds, it's not to mess you up. It's not to cost you games. It's to keep more kids in the game.
0: And I think that, you know, for all where I grew up in Texas uh, and when I grew up, soccer was not real big at that point, at least where we lived. But as I got older and started watching, I, I liked the model that I saw in many places, particularly what I saw in military installations being a soldier, um, you know, where you would have appropriate size and numbers on the team. You might have 5v5 or 8v8, depending on the age, and it was scaled down to meet the needs of the kid, as opposed to as you said, 11 on 11 on a hundred yard field and the kids are six years old and, and are too timid to worry about hitting hard anyway. And there's just so many things we can teach kids developmentally, both physically and mentally, I think through that process. And I, I, and I know there's going to be a lot of pushback from football purists because so many people, as you commented on so eloquently, eloquently it's There are so many leagues out there, in my opinion, that are all about the adults. It, the kids are a byproduct as opposed mm-hmm. to you know and, and I loved what you talked about in the book you know you 're coaching a person, not a sport mm-hmm. and, and if you and if you cater to the all the instruction going into that relationship and teaching that kid so that he or she has fun and is ready to come back. Um, I just think that's incredible.
1: Let, let me just jump in, John, because yeah. I think this is really important for your listeners. If they have not seen this yet, and I don't think football has done it, but I know the English FA in soccer, USA Ice Hockey has done this, USA Volleyball. They've created these these videos where they're sort of, you know, like ice hockey plowed off a giant pond and and, and made a rink the size of what a rink feel a full rink feels like to a six-year-old right? So it's five on five, this giant rink that's like, you know, 150 yards long. The goals are like soccer goals, right? <laughs> you know, because that's the size of a six-year-old goalkeeper in a full-size goal. And you just see these adults who are playing, they're like hands are on their knees. They're not chasing the puck down. They're absolutely exhausted. And they're like, that, this isn't fun, right? And soccer did the same thing with like, you know, the corner kick, like the adults can't even reach the goal on a corner kick. Right. And, 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 and the goal, the goalkeeper standing in this 25 foot high goal. So these big lob balls go over his head. Right. And they're like, this, this is terrible. Right. And so I think this is just this thing, right? What if we did that? Like, I wish USA football would do that, put a giant, giant field out there, you know, 300 yards long and 150 yards wide And make people play football and just like try to chase this guy down, right? (laughs) You know the the sixty yard screen pass, you know. Um, So yeah, it would
0: give the adults a whole and and a whole. You're talking about building perspective, and I think that's so powerful.
1: Perspective, it's just perspective, and so I think this is the type of thing that we need to think about. Eleven on eleven. The football we watch on TV, that is the most complicated version with the most complicated rules made for the people who play the game at the highest level. It's not made for seven-year-olds.
0: No, I agree. And and despite the fact that I began playing football when I was in third grade, um, I, I have developed as a coach and a parent, uh, I, I really... I really have pretty strong feelings about tackle football prior to the age of 10. And and you'll, again, the purists will argue all day. Oh no, no, no. The sooner you get started, the better and all that kind of thing. But I just think scaling it down and teaching kids fundamentals is so much more important.
1: It, it is. And I think, you know, there's a couple, couple things. Number one, you know, when people say, well, you know, when I did it, when I was a kid, I'm um, whatever. And, you know, I, I don't know how old you are, but, you know, you know, my wife's a physician and, And, you know, she used to say, yeah, you know what? And, and 70 years ago, they, you know, if you had to get your tooth pulled, they'd give you a shot of whiskey and say, okay, hold on. Right. But we don't do that anymore. Right. Because we know better. And so I think we know better in, in sport. And I think, you know, with football, I am not an expert on concussions that I don't, I try not to wade into that area, except to say that, the more evidence, and this isn't just football. This is soccer. This is lacrosse. This is ice hockey. There's lots of sports. Um, when we, um, the, as more evidence emerges that the the CTE and these brain issues are not from the one big blow, but a series of subconcussive ones, then as the responsible adults who are in charge of being in charge of children, like, you know what, we need to reduce the amount of those. And like you said, teaching fundamentals, um, playing flag football, getting more kids' touches on the ball, getting them running, getting them involved, it makes it more fun. They're they're gonna come back versus, you know, just getting, you know, squashed. Cause how many kids quit football the first time they get smashed in the face at eight years old? Like, yep, not for me. Sure. Right? And 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 why I lose them to the game because of that?
0: No, I agree. I I, I found many different creative ways to get kids uh, involved who didn't appear to be aggressive. And I could, I used to tell parents all the time, you know, you can take an aggressive kid and teach them how to play almost any sport, certainly tackle football, but you cannot coach aggression into a kid. Yeah, I agree. You know, it's, it's one of those things that you have to bring them along. It doesn't mean that kids that may be timid or somewhat scared of contact can't eventually learn to play football if they love the game, but you know, don't force them to do it. I, I, I love in the TED Talk and in the book, you mentioned the, the episode with your, after your son's game um, and, and not breaking it down. Uh, I, I love that piece because I have been guilty of it so many times. Even, yeah. even though I didn't dis, uh, dismember or dismantle the game in terms of analysis, still just talking to the kids on the way home. And I think it's so valuable to stay away from that. So thank you for sharing that, both yeah, the sure. story as well as in the book.
1: Yeah. Do you want me to share it now? Because Absolutely, uh, I love to get my wife all uh, flustered because <laughs> she doesn't like when I share that story. But um, I, I mean, basically the, the golden rule is this, right? That for many kids, the ride home is the worst memory of sports. And so what we really need to do is, is let the ride home belong to them. Now I have two children And one of them, as soon as she gets in the car, says, how do you think I did today? And one of them, the questions never once occurred to him, right? But when he goes to bed that night, he'd be like, so how do you think I did, right? He processes it. He gets it out. All he wants to know is what's for lunch. And then he wants to talk about the game later on. If I don't respect that space for him, and I've disrespected it numerous times, I don't sit here as, you know, I'm far from perfect. I've had my kids in tears in the car, right? Right but I'm kind of aware of tidying up afterwards. Um, If I don't respect that space for him, I guarantee you he's 12, he's almost 13, he'd have quit years ago, right? Because he just uh, doesn't do that, right? And so, you know, if, if you have, if your child asks you, how did, you know, how do you think I did? Then, you know, have the conversation, give him some feedback, if you are emotionally capable of doing so in a way that's not harmful and hurtful um and if you can't say you know can we just talk after dinner can we talk tomorrow and I think that's important as well so um you know I I think that's great you know so like I the other day I went and watched my daughter play and she wasn't really playing well and so I took out my camera and I filmed a few little things right and then I said to her um when she asked me in the car I said well you know you know first of all how do you think how do you think you did? And she kind of gave some feedback. I'm like, okay, Mike. Um, I actually filmed like a couple of clips for you. Um, I want you to watch it and take a look at it, and then um, uh, you know, just write some notes. You know, tell me what you what you're seeing in that moment, and we'll see if it's what I'm seeing in that moment. And and so I I'm, I'm, I bring it up because here's her notes that were on my desk last night. Right. <laughs> That's and,
0: awesome. You
1: know, and 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 this is not to make her sport the all-encompassing thing, but she needs some self-awareness and um, what, what's working well and what's not working for me if she wants to continue on the path that she says she does. And so instead of getting into an emotional argument where she disagrees with what I said, watch the video <laughs> and then let's talk about it because you can't argue with the tape.
0: No, I agree. I, I, in fact, I was, I was blown away. I've always been very big into goal setting and I recently spoke at an awards banquet and before the banquet, I asked the coach, I said, could you send me some of the stats and what your goals were for the season? And he said, well, coach, we really didn't have individual or team goals that were quantifiable. Our goals were really what we taught the kids was we we had goals. Like I want to be the best teammate possible. Mm -hmm. I want to focus on trying to improve every day and get better. And I, I, I made a big to-do about that in my speech, in my comments, because I think it is so important. You know, he said, he articulated to me later on, he said, if we had set the goal to be win the Super Bowl, well, what happens if we get to the playoffs and lose the first game? Is that season a failure? You right. know, so I think when you talked about it in the end of the book, you know, the uh, the new definition of success, I think we all have to define that as we see fit what what do you what would your advice be to parents and new coaches on defining that success in their in their scope
1: i mean it's a great question and i think it really goes back to um number one we're developing people first right an athlete second and football players or soccer players or volleyball players third and and so we have to take the long view that the things that I say and do today might stick with a kid for the rest of his or her life. And I don't get to pick and choose what they, what they remember and what they forget. So I better be intentional about this. So, you know, I think when we start coaching that way, when we start defining our success on, you know, you know, realizing that in the moment, some of the kids that we impact the most will appreciate it the least right? The ones who were making them disciplined for the first times, the ones that we are um, dragging out of their comfort zone for the first time, the ones that we've that we've demanded a lot that no coach has ever demanded of them before. Those are the kids that 10 years later invite you to their wedding, right? <laughs> but in the moment, they're like, God, that guy's a jerk, you know? And, and And so understanding that if my principles are right and they're sound and I'm trying to do the right thing that's how I define success. And then I think number two, you know, I talk in there, we're also developing the next generation of coaches. Sure. So if we think that all these kids, you know, or statistically 80% of them are going to go out and eventually coach their own kid and, and, and coach some team someday somewhere, what are we teaching them about coaching, right? And about this relationship, because they're going to model the coaching that they had. That's the first thing they're going to do. And if you are just this amazing transformational inspiring figure in their life, that's who they might a call for advice and B um, that's, that's who they're going to try to emulate. What did, what did John do that just made practice awesome every day? Why did I look forward to that so much? Right. And, and, and that's it. And then, you know, I, I think as well that, you know, sometimes kids move on from our sport. You know, I've had kids who are competitive dancers and you know, or they just happen to be a phenomenal skier. And so they're like, I can't do soccer anymore because I'm doing this. But if I made the decision really hard for them, like God, but I love soccer so much, I know that they'll go join some adult league someday. They'll go, they'll keep playing. And I think that's really important, right? That if they choose to leave, that's okay. Um, but you know, it's because of, you know, that's they just something else is a better fit. And 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 I'm okay with that now. And but then I always look at like, man, if a kid wants to go to lacrosse practice instead of mine, I used to be like, what's wrong in that kid? Now I'm like, what's wrong with my practice? Right. Like I wish like, I I what can I learn from lacrosse that's making it that much better than my practice? And so maybe that's just the a little bit of the humility of old age. I don't know, older age.
0: Well, I think that, um, you know, there is far too much. People don't look far enough inside the intrinsic side of success versus the quantifiable, measurable side of success. We we too often talk, you know, in football about who the greatest is. Well, how many rings does he have? Well, why did that make him great? Well, you know, you can measure those. And that's too many times, I think, people's focus. Um, I speaking of focus i wanted to finish up with uh, if this again the the book every moment matters how the world's best coaches inspire their athletes and build championship teams is is a tremendous resource for anyone looking to take their game to a new level or if they've never coached to get some insights and be I think approach it from both an introspective as well as very evaluative uh, methodology to say, how can I do this to the best of my ability? If a prospective coach had limited time and could only focus on one section of the book, what might you tell them to read or what portion might you want to relay to them?
1: (laughs) That's a good question. Um, I I mean, I think ultimately, you know, cause, cause I get that question a lot of like, Hey, come in and speak. What can you teach? that's most important. Well, I don't know. Every group needs something different, right? Um, sure. if, if I go, you know, some people are really clear on their purpose and why they're there. Well, then that's not most important. So I think if you don't know, if you can't really define like, you know, why do I coach like that? That's something you've never considered start there. But if you, Know that, right? You're clear on that. You've been doing this for a while. Then I think, you know, what does it feel like to be coached by me? I mean, again, this is the thing that I didn't consider for the first 10 years of my coaching career. And and I think that just gives you some just different ideas of how do you build culture? How do you create a learning environment? Um, you know, how you communicate better, all these sort of things that, you know, I, I just think that uh, that if more coaches were intentional about that, there'd be a lot more kids enjoying sport. Right. And, um, you know, and, and then, you know, the, the quote, I kind of start the book with, um, from Terry Steiner, legendary wrestler, uh, USA wrestling, um, women's national team coach. You know, he told me the was in Colorado Springs and he said, what's the difference between a coach and an artist? And, uh, I don't know. He goes, at the end of the day the artist can throw out his work and start again and the coach can't and that's really really stuck with me because i go out i'll go out and coach for 3 hours tonight and i can't throw away what i do so i have to be really intentional and really focused and really prepared knowing that i am influencing these kids and then when we play a game on the weekend you know even more so because mom and dad are watching right and the games matter more um so in that moment of frustration or emotion, you know, I got to be really careful about what pops out of my mouth.
0: Well, and I, I have, I've tried to make that personal for me, as I've gone through my coaching journey and gotten more uh, experience in really trying to be more vulnerable and, and be able to talk to kids and parents after games uh, when I make a mistake, because we're all going to make them. Uh, and I, I think that uh, there's so many facets of what you talk about in the book uh, that folks can pull from and and put in their kit bag, as we'd call it in the in the army, and and pull it out for a resource down the road. So thank you very much for yeah. your time today, for writing the book. Uh, I, I cannot say enough. What a thrill it is uh, for me to have you on the show and and to have gained from your knowledge and experience uh, from reading the book. Again, for all those that are listening, every moment matters how the world's best coaches inspire their athletes and build championship teams. John, where can, uh, where's the easiest place for folks to pick up a copy?
1: Uh, You know, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, all all the bookstores. If you want the quick delivery, if you want a signed copy, just come to my website, which is changingthegameproject.com probably the easiest place to to get a signed copy or, you know, as you and I were talking about off camera beforehand, um, we do bulk discounts for, you know, we have tons of coaching staffs now that have, you know, we're all going to read this or, you know, athletic directors like, Hey, we want 20 books, we want 30 books, because all my coaches need to read this. This is kind of our community read or reset button. So we're doing a lot of that kind of, um, stuff right there. Um, And I just want your readers to remember, like this is a coaching book. It's not a football book. It's not a soccer book. It's not a volleyball book. It draws across coaches from, I don't know how many sports. I never actually even counted in there, but so many sports because sometimes our specific sport gets so into the offense, the defense, the X's, the O's, the sport science, and we lose sight of coaching. And I think coaching is where we all meet in the middle. How do we uh, inspire, motivate, um, respect, encourage, communicate with our athletes. That's coaching, um, and and that's what this book's about.
0: Well, again, I, I hope that our listeners and and when we publish the podcast, we'll make sure and put all the connective pieces uh, in the description so folks know where to go and and uh, can can reach out and check out the Way of Champions podcast as well as pick up a copy of the book. Uh, John O'Sullivan, again, thank you very much, sir. Appreciate your time. Uh, although I want to be respectful and bring it to an end, we could talk for an hour and a half. We I could, could man. So, uh, <laughs> but, uh, I really do appreciate you. Thank you, sir, for taking the time to be on the show today.
1: Thank you. It was an honor.
0: We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Thanks for joining us. Please be sure to save this episode to your favorites and subscribe to the podcast. Until next time, remember, whatever you do in football, do it for the good of the game.